it. I'm Campbell, the only podcast that puts its money where its mouth is. I'm your host, Rich Ron, and I'm joined by one member of the collective, and that's Donnie D.P. Peters. After a 3-2 and two body blow in week 14, we are currently 36-29-5 in the Las Vegas Super Contest, tied for 790th place, creeping up a little bit. And the man that is joining me right now on the pod, Mo is in Europe, he's in Prague, but I've got DP, who is a perfect, count it, not one, not two, not three, not four, five and oh in week 14. DP. Six and oh, bud. Six and oh. Well, the six one doesn't count. a little bit here. <laughs> How you doing, bud? I'm great. I'm, I'm really great. I had a had a kick-ass week in, in picking games, that's for sure. But, 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 this is the one week that I decided to finally tail Mo because no. I keep seeing, yeah, I keep seeing all these freaking tweets from you the hyping the crap out of how awesome Mo is doing, how he'd be winning the Super Contest gold, he'd be top 15 in the Super Contest and all this stuff, and he's absolutely on fire, and I've known it too. He is certainly on fire. He's carrying us through the season. So I decided to tail him. I promote tailing him on social media, and then he just completely throws up a stinker, <laughs> and I'm like, what in the mother effort? I mean, I still made money on on the week, but like I could have absolutely destroyed. Mo. Quote unquote losing week. It objectively was two and three. It wasn't that bad, though. His first losing week since week 10 and only his third losing week amongst his top five all season. He's still 43, 24, and three, a solid 63.5% clip. So I've been telling people to tail for weeks. And I actually had a friend, high school friend, text me. He did the same. This was the first week he finally gave in. He tailed Mo and he got the banana. In the tailpipe. That's what happens sometimes. I mean, if you guys really want to tail a pick, you got to just pick my number one every yes. single week. Just take it to the bank. DP's number one selection, absolutely crushing this year. 11-2-1 against the spread, 82% winner. The only person close is our aggregate selection, 11-3, 78.5%, and I am in third. 10-4 at 71%. That's something that's been consistent and why, for those of you that have listened to us for a very long time, we used to just take the top five aggregate picks and stick them on the card. But then I went back and did some analysis and showed that sometimes what happens is when there's a majority pick, three hosts on one side and one lone wolf, that lone wolf in our aggregate rankings drops it so much that it, it wouldn't get into the top five. Basically, the top five would all be consensus picks even if we all had them as really low, three-pointers, four-pointers. So I went I went ahead and said, hey, let's all put our number one pick on the card and let the fifth one be the aggregate, and I think it's doing better. This year, the consensus card is actually outpacing uh, the card we submit. Uh, the collective card is 39, 28, and 3, 57.8%, and the card we're submitting is 36, 29, and 5, 55 percent but the difference is those vetoes <laughs> if if those vetoes did not occur and Brett's winners got on the card then the card we are submitting would be on pace with the collective card so I think the process is is still right the switch was still good the process was good entertainment may be a little bit less yeah. because we're not bitching at each other all the time <laughs> but uh, the process is definitely definitely much better and there's no more drum roll 
That got everybody scintillated at the end of the podcast. But alas, another winning week, though. Four winning weeks in a row. Looking over at the Super Contest, I'm going to make a note to, instead of at the back end of the podcast, look at the overall at the beginning, because it's getting a little bit more relevant now that we only have a few weeks remaining. And it is Pigskin Junkies who remain in the lead. They landed a body blow, which this time of the year at the top of the contest is not <laughs> what you're trying to do. Uh, they have two teams with 5-0 and weeks right on their heels. Team Cleveland won. And Rush YYZ2112, both were a perfect 5-0. and o. Team Cleveland is a half point behind Pigskin Junkies, and Rush is a full point. Uh, Pigskin Junkies, like us, was on Buffalo. They were also on New England. Bit of a fish pick, lads. <laughs> uh, in the contest, the average point total this week was 2.7, which is pretty high. I'm used to seeing low twos. Maybe like 2.4, but 2.7 is pretty good for the contest. And 161 people won a perfect 5 and 0. Oh, Pigskin Junkies still your leader. Looking at the consensus picks, the number one overall pick by a long shot was somehow the Indianapolis Colts getting 5. In Houston, they covered, they won outright. But the next three picks all lost. Chiefs minus six and a half, Rams minus three. We were, of course, on the other side of that. And Bills minus three. That was, unfortunately, the collective selection. Uh, Giants minus three and a half rounded out the top five. We were on the other side of that game. And that's where we, where we will start. It was Giants 40, racial slurs 16 in Washington. On Friday, I told the world that I initially had this team as my number one pick. I initially was going to put Mark Sanchez on the card, but then, DP, I heard Mo in the echo chamber of my own mind yelling at me, how can you put Sanchez on the card? This is too sharp for own good. And then Mo did it himself, and Sanchez went out and threw 14 attempts for 38 yards and two interceptions. If somehow there was a negative QBR or negative rating, he would have gotten it. Uh, Mark did get one of the worst QBRs of all time. The old 1.1 out of 100. Josh Johnson comes in, shows signs of life, but this was a total route, DP. We never had a single sweat in this contest. Never had a shot. Uh, Redskins uh, couldn't get the running game going. I mean, not that we necessarily believe in, in running backs on this podcast, but when you know Mark Sanchez has only been on your team for two or three weeks and he still only knows a handful of plays and everyone around around him is decimated, I mean, you would have had to have lean on Adrian Peterson in that running game. They couldn't get anything going on the ground whatsoever, uh, which you know hurt this game overall, put the ball in Sanchez's hand early. He ends up turning the ball over a ton. Uh, I mean, this is Mo's pick. I don't, if if you recall, I recall Mo saying something about like how this wasn't going to be number one, but then he just kind of left it there. I don't really understand that process or why he did that. I mean, so Mo's going to have to answer with that when he gets back from, from Europe. But uh, this to me is our only, it's the only loss that is deserved, I think, or at least, I mean, we should be four and one. We ended up three and two, but this, uh, yeah, like you said, this one, we had no shot. It was 24 to nothing or something at halftime. And you just, we had no chance. Slurs were a bottom 10 play giants being a top five consensus pick. I get the leverage aspect 
of this selection, especially... And we got OBJ out, too. Well, yeah, and we did not anticipate one of the best players in football being removed from the contest a day before. What are you supposed to do about that? Uh, Oh, no, sorry. That went in our favor, actually. I don't even know what I'm talking about. Hosting... That went in our favor, but I'm, I'm just saying, like, that's... It should have helped us. It obviously didn't help us at all. <laughs> yeah, I don't. My my brain just shut off there for a second. I don't know why I said that. Um, my biggest fear, which I said again on Friday, was if you remember at the end of the Eagles slurs game when the game started getting out of hand, the Eagles started gushing on the ground. Every run was going for chunks, and the slurs rule of professional pride. They were not showing it. And in this contest, when things started going wrong, Saquon Barkley started ripping off chunks, including that 78-yard touchdown. He ends with 12 yards per carry, 14 attempts, 170 yards. Very poor tackling from the slurs. But I really can't blame them when you're getting the output that Sanchez is giving you at the quarterback position. I mean, you can't really blame them at all. I I thought the the Redskins' defense did well like 80% of the time. And then 20% of the time, they were just basically non-existent. And the Giants just went up and down the field. And obviously, the Washington offense didn't help out the Washington defense with the way that they were turning the ball over uh, as rampant as they were and allowing the Giants defense to score points and uh, put their team in really good field position all day. Josh Johnson set to get the start this weekend for the Slurs. We'll go from Mark Sanchez to his former team, not direct former, that was the Eagles. His first team, the team that selected him, I believe it was sixth overall in the 2009 draft, and that is my fighting New York Jets, who we were all against, including myself. I said that this was not the game. This was not the win one for the Gipper game, but I forgot that we have the GOAT, Savior Sam, at quarterback. 27-23 was the final The Jets win outright in Orchard Park. Sam Darnold starts the game, but then re-aggravates his foot, I believe. I I did not have the sound on on this broadcast, so I did not hear the dulcet sounds of, I believe, Iron Eagle. Uh, But he left the game. Cade went in for a series or two, only threw one pass, and then Savior Sam returned. Uh, Looked a little rusty, uh, threw a bad pick, but when it came time, for uh for some drives when it was winning time, uh, Darnold balled out. He had an insane scramble play where he kind of uh, did the Mike Vick, runs all the way to the right, circles all the way back around. And Robbie Anderson gets open in the fire drill. Uh, somebody's got to get open after that much time. Catches the touchdown. On the other side of the ball, DP, the one thing we did not need is bad Josh Allen. And we got bad Josh Allen in this game. Yeah, I mean that that one pick that he threw when he was falling out of bounds was like the most horrific thing I've seen. I saw all day. I mean, I I don't know what that was. That's just like, I mean, I, I get that there are a lot of boneheaded plays that these young quarterbacks make. I mean, look at Sam Darnold, his first throw in the NFL. That was about as dumb as it gets when he threw that ball all the way across the field against the Lions, and they went returned for a pick six. This one is like I I, I don't even like I don't even know how you try and throw that football like like there's times when like you're like okay yeah like i'm gonna try and squeeze it in here i'm gonna try this i mean he was like it seemed like he was already three feet out of bounds and just decided to throw it across his body like 
into traffic, I was like, what dude, just go out of bounds or just throw it away. Like what? There's no point in doing that whatsoever. There was just none. That was just sheer stupidity, man. I just couldn't believe it. And I honestly, we, we had this game early on. It looked great for the bills. I mean, they were just kind of going up and down the field. Josh Allen looked great uh, in terms of like, just keeping the ball protected and running most uh, especially. And then it just seemed like everything seemed to fall off. Their offense really, really stalled. Jets got rolling, as you mentioned earlier. And then, yeah, next thing you know, Josh Allen is bad Josh Allen, and the wheels fell off. Not much offense in this game outside of Josh Allen with his legs. Uh, 5.7 yards per attempt throwing for Josh Allen. Darnold, 7.1, which is really nothing to write home about. Um, (laughs) To be honest, the thing that was working the best as noted, was Josh Allen running, but it's not like it was Josh Allen design runs as long as it was that 31-yard scramble on a passing play. So Buffalo, it, it's it, it's tough. It, they ship out, although he's not good, Calvin Benjamin. They've got Zay Jones uh, as their number one. Robert Foster actually. He looked like an idiot this game, Zay Jones. <laughs> well, he's not. That's That's the kind of point I'm making is that Kind of like on the other side of the ball, Sam Darnold doesn't have much help right now. Josh Allen's doing this all by himself. Uh, He's got no reliable pass catchers. Maybe a couple years ago, Charles Clay would have been helpful, but he's a bit older. We saw him with that horrifying drop on the Hail Mary against the Dolphins. So I I am impressed with what I've seen from Josh Allen so far. At his peak, is he going to be great? I still don't think so. But I think he has enough tools to make enough plays. And if you put the right players around him, then I think he can have some success. But it is going to take creative thinking from both a personnel and play calling standpoint in order to do that. Uh, This game really could have gone either way, uh, but the Jets were able to get that uh, victory at the end. The Bills, I mean, the the most frustrating part of the game probably was the beginning of the second half when the Jets fumble the kickoff and the Bills can only get a field goal out of it. Uh, that would have been a massive spot to punch it in because not only would they have added four points, obviously, to their end total, but that's one of those, and uh, I'm not the biggest fan of this word, but that's one of those momentum things, right? Like, you come out of halftime, you're kind of juiced if you're the Jets, you probably got a speech or some planning, you're ready to go out and kick ass and you fumble the ball and just hand seven points to the other team. That could have been a death blow that they got us the cover, but we did not get it. What's uh what's the deal with Todd Bowles? Is he done? He has to be, right? I mean I think so, but this is I'm, a- try- I'm trying to I'm trying to think as like a GM and they don't always think with the most common sense. So well this is what th- the Jets are not a team that's going to fire a coach in season. It would take some act of complete idiocy or subordination or something for the Jets organization to let a coach go midseason. Even when Rex was at his absolute nadir and the Jets went 4-12, and they let him finish the season. And like I said, they won that win one for the Gipper game week 17 against the Dolphins. So it's just not how this organization acts. There's been a lot of talk in the last couple of weeks about a rift between GM Mike McCagnan and head coach Todd Bowles. I, it's funny, Damian Woody posted something about why should McCagnan get a shot to do this rebuild, and I gave a couple lukewarm takes. Like, I, I, I would be okay with Mac 
giving it a shot and rebuilding this team. I, I think from what I've heard him say, I don't know, I just I like the way he approaches roster building. He's not been perfect. And trust me, uh, me and Damian Woody went back and forth a little bit. It was very civil. But the Jets fans reading his tweets, man, my mentions just got destroyed by salty Jets fans that were pissed off that I would give any support to what Mac was doing. It was a uh, a salty Saturday morning, to say the least. But I, I think for sure, Bowles is going. But I think there's also a non-zero chance that, that McCagnan hits the door as well. The thing is, I don't know who's running the organization right now. Like, Chris Johnson is the acting owner because Woody is the U.S. ambassador to the United Kingdom for good old 45. So I don't know if Woody's pulling the strings and Chris is just doing what he says, or if Chris is making the decisions. So it's pretty much up in the air. That's another reason why I kind of want Mac to stay, because I want a football guy making football decisions. You know, like he's not been perfect, but I'd rather have him setting up the future of a team with Sam Darnold than Woody Johnson. Please, for the love of God, don't let Woody Johnson make any decisions. I'm begging you. Yeah, I mean, I I think Bulls needs to go. I think that anytime you bring in, you know, uh, a highly touted young quarterback like Darnold in this spot, I think you just need to give him, you know, that offensive-minded guru-style coach to go with it. I think that kind of has to go hand-in-hand, you know. Um, Unless you already have that person in place and then you draft the quarterback, I just think it's very hard for someone like Bulls who's defensive-minded to – you know, be able to help someone like Darnold reach his potential. And obviously they're going to need a lot more than just Sam Darnold. They're going to need pieces around him, uh, but that can come in play. But you're going to need, you know, someone who can build this guy up and make him into uh, be as close to the quarterback that he can be and reach his ceiling. I was pretty excited last night during the Monday night broadcast when the crew was discussing the little rift that was happening between Mike Zimmer and Filippo, the offensive coordinator for the Vikings, because you can point fingers at that Vikings offense and say that they should have been better this season, and they were absolutely destroyed last night. But as a play caller, what are you supposed to do with that offensive line? Like, if they can't keep guys upright, if they can't create space for Dalvin Cook to run through, I I don't care what play you're calling, especially on the road at CenturyLink. Like, you're just getting dominated. Those guys couldn't block anybody, DP. Yeah, I was I was really surprised with uh I've been surprised at how bad the Vikings offensive lines looked all year. Um last night was uh, you know obviously in primetime everyone's everyone's watching you get to pay attention a bit more to it and you just saw how glaring it was especially cuz you know the Seahawks uh, that that front four uh, was just running absolutely rampant on on and doing anything that they wanted. Um I I mean, maybe that's I on the last podcast, you know, I said that I can't really put a finger on what it is with this this Vikings team. And maybe that's because, you know, every week I'm watching, trying to watch 10 different games at once and I'm not paying attention to every single little detail. And now that I was able to really sit down and like kind of focus on that, maybe that's it, you know, cause line play on both sides of the ball go, you know, it can really just destroy a team. It's not, it's not the sexiest thing out there. People don't really like watching to it, but it, it often has the biggest weight in terms of how it affects teams. And if you don't have a good offensive line and you can't give a quarterback time to throw, you can't give your receivers time to get open. I mean, you're just, you're not going to do anything in today's NFL, just absolutely nothing. And I think that you saw a lot of that last night. I mean, they keep saying that they keep saying over and over again, like, is, is Kirk Cousins the guy they paid him 84 million? Like why? Like, is he the guy? Is he the guy? Well, it doesn't matter if he's the guy or if he's not a guy, if he doesn't have an offensive line or time to throw the ball, he's never going to be the guy. 
Like, it doesn't matter who the hell you put back there. Yeah, you, you could have put Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, who the <laughs> hell knows back there. And he's never going to be the guy because they just can't. He doesn't have time to throw the ball. Yeah, you could put the Madden 99 overall sliders all the way up on everything back there. And if you can't block for them, it does not matter. So if coach the only person that it doesn't matter with is probably Patrick Mahomes. But he's like so much of an outlier. He's like the Steph Curry of the NBA. He's just so far way away on any sort of analytic scale that he can just do everything on the run, doesn't need time. I mean, he's throwing no-look passes and just, you know, who knows that that's going to be able to to keep up, but he's like the only person. So if Coach Flip is available, I would be very interested. He, of course, Doug Peterson coaching tree, which means Andy Reid coaching tree, which means I think Andy Reid goes back to uh bill walsh maybe i'll check as we go on to the next game speaking of andy reed the eagles went on the road to dallas i was the only one to select the birds getting three and a half it was a tightly contested game that went to overtime but ultimately amari cooper's three touchdowns including the overtime winner gave the cowboys a 29 23 result dp this was your pick so i'll let you take it away I mean, this this one was, I I I didn't understand a lot of the game. I, I I really was watching this, and I'm just like the whole time I'm thinking like, can they just like stop being stupid talking about Dallas? I mean, I, I feel like they should have just absolutely shredded this team, and, and maybe this is just uh, a testament to to what you were saying going into it. I mean, they, they just they cr- like they put up almost 600 yards of offense, and Philadelphia put up 250. Like I was like, what? What the hell is Dallas doing? But and, and Dak is throwing some horrible picks, and they're just doing dumb things. It's like just I wanted them to just throw the ball all the time, but for, it's not. It, like Dallas can't do that because they have Ezekiel Elliott, and because like that's just the way that that organization is run. Like it's, it, I just feel like they're always going to be run first, and I don't think that that's going to work. And listen, Dak Prescott isn't the best quarterback in the world. He's certainly not. I mean, I think that we've said that many times and we've been behind that many times on this podcast, but against this Philadelphia secondary with this many injuries to this Philadelphia secondary, just start hucking the ball all over the field. I mean, look when they started throwing the ball or anytime they did throw the ball. I mean, Amari Cooper was just going off. Honestly, if they were throwing the ball more, Amari could have gone off for 300 or 350 easily. Like they should have thrown the ball much, much more. Like, no one could cover Amari Cooper. Why even bother running the ball with Ezekiel Elliott? I just felt like that slowed them down all game and put them in a lot of tough spots. Um, You know, second and long, third and long, that sort of thing going forward. And they just need to – sometimes you just need to abandon, you know, the run game. I think you see that a lot with uh, Sean McVay over in Los Angeles. You know, he has Todd Gurley, but there will be times when, you know, he's just like, okay, running's not in the game plan today. It's just not happening. We're not doing it. Yeah, we have Todd Gurley, but we're not just going to, like – give him 10 plays. And then on the other side, you would always have Mike McCarthy. Who's like, Nope, got to have 25 running plays and 25 passing plays. That's how we need to do it. I feel like Dallas does that too much. Uh, and they just need to just wing it. Dallas is, or Dallas and Dak aren't the best passing game, but uh, the Philadelphia Eagles, they're horrible at yeah. pa- defending the pass. Yeah. They're, they're so bad when you, when you're hearing the broadcasters get really excited that Rajul Douglas is making plays. And he actually did make a really nice play on that red zone interception. Showed showed zone close to the uh, the line of scrimmage like he was playing the flat and then cuts back, picks off a pass intended for Amari Cooper. That was a nice play. But something Rajul Douglas is not making plays like that 
throughout the contest. And you're right, Dak shredded 42 of 54 for 455, 8.4 yards per attempt. The only reason why the Eagles were competitive in this game were those turnovers. They won the turnover battle 3-1. to one. Prescott, two interceptions, and then a fumble. The fumble, I don't know how much I can discredit Dak. I mean, unbelievable play by Michael Bennett to fight through the offensive line, get a punch in there. It's just something he's been doing for years. He's one of the best pass rushers in the league, even though he wears those silly punter pads. So the Eagles were just holding on with that turnover margin. But then the game got really weird with that Dallas Godert play where he was called for offensive pass interference, <laughs> even though he was hit in the head multiple times by the defense. Yo, I have no idea what refs are doing this year at all. Like, at all. And, like, all these games, I'm like, what the hell are they calling? What are they doing? Like, I mean, listen, I know that the whole, like, it's rigged thing is fake, and I don't buy into that, but it I certainly creeps into my mind. Like, I'm watching some of these games. I'm like, what in the universe are these refs calling and doing? Or not calling sometimes. Sometimes they just totally don't call anything. And even with that call, atrocious call against the Eagles, the Cowboys were penalized 111 yards for the game. Cowboys, uh, Eagles were only penalized for 49 yards. So the Eagles get a 52-yard penalty advantage and a 3-to-1 turnover ratio, and they still can't win. This team is donezo, right? They're totally dust. I was I, the only reason that they're hanging around is because they won the Super Bowl last year, and people are still like clinging to that. I mean, that's the only reason. And honestly, like I'm, I'm not that high on Doug Peterson anymore. I think Frank Reich was like much more an important role than a lot of people are giving credit. Everyone like still today, you know, or, you know, in today's NFL with, with Frank Reich gone there. I mean, everyone's always talking about Doug Peterson, Doug Peterson, Doug Peterson. This offense, they're aggressive. This, 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 and this. Well, they haven't been that great on offense this year. Carson Wentz doesn't look that good. And if it was Frank Reich, you know, kind of in charge of that offense last year and when he was doing it all with Nick Foles, I mean, I got to give much more credit to Frank Reich. And when you think about what he's done going over to Indianapolis with Andrew Luck and turning that whole team around, I got to give the credit where the credit's due and it's going to Frank Reich for me. I got to give Doug Peterson some time. This Nobody planned for these many injuries on the defense. And we say that running backs don't matter. I bang the drum for running backs, don't matter. But missing both Ajayi and Sproles, Sproles is a little less defensible because he's 35 years old, I believe, and you can't really trust him to have a bill of health. But Running backs don't matter, but you do need someone with a pulse. That's and, really and, all you need, and but the, they just don't have that. Right, and those two guys, that's their plan, right? They want to have a bit of thunder and lightning. They want to have Jay Ajayi who can go between the tackles and get some work done, and they want Sproles to set the edge and keep the linebackers honest. So those are just guys that all summer they were planning on having and strategizing and using in their offense, and they were unavailable to them this season. And then, of course, I mean, the defense is just the biggest issue for me. I'll give Peterson some time. He was fantastic last year. We'll see what he can do moving forward. One guy that I am sick of giving time to. Guys... The Steelers can never be road favorites of more than a field goal ever again, I think. 24-21 is the final. The Raiders win outright at home as 10.5-point favorites. Tomlin now an atrocious 25-34-2 as a road favorite, as a the coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers. 42% clip. Only three teams have 
performed worse in terms of efficiency as road favorites during that time. And there are three not great football teams, the Detroit Lions, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and Oakland Raiders. DP, I know you didn't watch much of this game. And let me just put it this way. I'm so confused about the Big Ben thing. So Ben comes out. He actually looks really good. But then he gets hit high. They say he leaves the game with a rib injury. This happened right before halftime. Second half kick, and something Joshua Dobbs comes out and plays quarterback. He plays quarterback for about a quarter and a half, maybe even a little bit more. I legit had never heard of that guy ever. I saw like Dobbs in the back of his jersey. I was like, who in the world is this? I want to say he went to Oregon. I'm clicking his profile now. I'm going didn't to play. They, didn't the they draft someone? Drum I roll. They dra- Tennessee. Go Volunteers. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> that guy is a volunteer. But then Ben comes back in. This is the puzzling thing. So Ben returns and leads them down on a touchdown drive, which was pretty awesome. But why wasn't he in the game? Like if he's I'm so happy they lost because if I would have had to listen to people talk about how great this performance from Ben Roethlisberger was because he got injured and then he came back and he toughed it, I would have fucking lost my mind. I cannot stand that guy. I think he's a scumbag. I think he's a horrible quarterback right now. I think he's totally checked out on you know just being a total diva, a prima donna. And the fact that he like tried to pull this crap is just shut up, man. Get off the field. You suck. <laughs> Yeah, he comes back with five minutes remaining. And they walk down the field effortlessly to score the go-ahead touchdown. And then the Raiders come right back, score the game winner, six-yard pass to Derek Carrier, of all people. I can only imagine what the Steelers' offense would have looked like if Ben remained in the game for that third quarter. I mean, his numbers are amazing. 25 of 29, 282, two touchdowns, 9.7 yards per attempt. But he wasn't on the field for all of the third quarter, most of the fourth quarter. But he was healthy enough to be on the field. I, I can only imagine that this this is like a, you know, we, we're going to win this game, like an overconfident mentality. That's the only thing I can think of. Like, there's like, whatever, we're going to win this game. It's yeah, we, the Raiders. We, we have to Who save cares? him for the Patriots game next week, right? Like, that's the only thing that could have been happening here. Yeah, I mean, that's the only thing that I think that could have been happening is that they just got overconfident. They're like, whatever, we don't need him. We'll just, you know, we'll put Dobbs in there. We'll just run the ball and, you know, they'll give up and we'll win by, you know, four points and that's the end of this. Like, whatever. And then we'll save Ben and he'll be back next week. But, I mean, uh, it it didn't feel like that the whole game. This felt like it was going to be much closer just from the get. I mean, Raiders started going. They went up 7-0. They went right down the field and went up 7-0. I mean, it it was Derek Carr to, to Jared Cook just right down the middle of the field. And then, then the Steelers are playing from behind early on. The Steelers did get the lead, you know, as you mentioned late. But, but I mean, this Steelers team, man, they're just, they're just, they're not good. Like, it's the same thing every year. They're just so inconsistent. It's unbelievable. No, it's they are. Like, they, they're super consistent. They're consistently inconsistent. But they're yes, yes. And it's it's not just like a little bit of inconsistency. It's like they're so good one week, like against the Panthers, totally blew them out, looked amazing. Everyone's like, oh my gosh, Steelers best team in the AFC. They're going to the Super Bowl. Then they're just on the other side of the spectrum, just losing to teams they should never lose, barely beating the Jaguars on the road when they should have won that game. Like the whole thing is just like, what the hell is like, what are they doing? And then there's the little things that we pointed out last week that 
The Steelers never adjust on defense. Oh my god, that crap with Keenan Allen is like <laughs> the most laughable. I mean, you should be fired as a coach for that. Hand, like hundred percent. Go fire. Go follow at Warren Sharp on Twitter. The first play of the game, Chargers Steelers. The Chargers come out with one true receiver on the play. First play from scrimmage. One true receiver split wide. And a linebacker has him in coverage. I mean, come on. It's the same crap. And we just wait till next week when they play this stupid zone that they always play against New England. And Tom Brady, I mean, you can hate on Tom Brady all you want, but he's going to shred this zone. Like he does every single freaking year. They're probably going to single team Gronk like they always do. Just the same old stupid crap that they always do. It's insane. The one thing beyond always getting Tomlin right on the road. The one thing that we said, if you listen back over and over again on Friday, was how excited we were to fade Jared Goff in sub-freezing temperatures against the number one defense in football. I don't know if we've ever been more right in dissecting a matchup than we were with this one. 15-6 to is the final. In the midway, the Bears went outright as three-point home underdogs. Jared Goff, 20 of 44 for 180 yards. That's four yards per attempt and four interceptions. DP, we talk about quarterbacks crumbling like a cookie when they enter Arrowhead Stadium. But I've not seen a, a supposed good quarterback melt as much as Jared Goff did. On Sunday night, I mean, he he totally melted. I mean, but but we we all thought we like, we pegged this as like this is the Jared Goff melt. Like if he and, and it's not it's not just this game. I and mean, we've been waiting for like this specific spot. But you know, we've we've talked about like if, if Jared Goff has to go on the road in the playoffs and win a big game, you know, in a, in a place that's hard to play. Like I, I mean, they're not going to go to Seattle, but let's say they had to go to Seattle. Like he would he would melt there in the playoffs with like a ton of stuff on the line. Like if he has to go to New Orleans, I think he just melts there. Like in that, even that's even though that's a dome, it's indoor, it's controlled, it's on turf, so it's going to be fast paced. I think he just melts there in the playoffs in a big spot. Here he goes into Chicago. Chicago is a little bit of a you know inferior team, at least in terms of offensive production, you know than than some of these other teams around the league. But they have this incredible defense. It's a super tough place to play. And Surfer Boy Goff had to go up there and play in the cold, and that it just ain't going to work, man. Somehow, I think Trubisky played worse. You know, I mean, Trubisky, he sucked. If, if he didn't have the like, like just just think like what they had John Fox and they weren't good, right? And now they have Nagy and they're good. I mean that that offense that or sorry that coaching staff that they have there. I mean they're the ones that are like carrying this team. I mean they're it's it's very much like you see in L.A. with McVay. I mean yeah. McVay is very much propping up Jared Goff to be better than he should be. You know, you see the same sort of thing in Chicago uh, with Matt Nagy, where he's just con- making Trubisky better than he is. And at the end of the day, if those two things are equal, then it's going to come down to, dare I say, in 2018, defense. And when defense is mattering, there's no scarier team in this league than the Bears at home. You know, the, ch- last week, Chiefs at home, pretty mortal when defense matters. The Ravens turned that game into a slugfest, got it to overtime. But in a world 
where defense matters, and there are examples of the whistles not blowing as frequently in the playoffs and the flags not being thrown as frequently as play gets more physical, Bears at home is a very, very dangerous ask for a lot of these all-offense teams. And the Rams, like you said, in games like this, on the road, when things get tight and the whistles don't blow as frequently. DP, I don't know how the Rams win the Super Bowl unless they get home field. And even then, if defense is to matter, I think that they're in dire straits against the Saints, the Bears, and dare I say, even maybe the Vikings? But that offensive line is a mess. I'll say Saints and Bears. Even the Hawks, yo, even in LA. Dude, Hawks Hawks beat this team. Hawks are going to beat this team in the playoffs 100% if they play them. Even in LA, the Rams don't want anything to do. Well, part the of the problem field. with that is that there's there's it's like the Chargers. There's not a home field advantage, and and home field advantage, you know, it's not it's not the end all be all, but it does help in a lot of spots. You mentioned earlier CenturyLink, really really tough place to play. Going up to Chicago, like we're talking about now, super super tough place to play. I mean, just going to L.A., it, there's it's going to be half Seahawks fans if that ever comes to that matchup. And the Seahawks, they play super well on the road. They're well coached. They have a good defense. I think that they're going to just – and you got Jared Goff. And it, it, it's it's not that he's on the road in a tough spot, but it's just a really high-pressure situation. And I'm not sure he's prepared to handle that. Man. And they beat the Hawks twice already. So there's that extra edge that Seattle's going to have. That That is, to me, a dream money line spot for – the playoffs and you went a step beyond that last week you grabbed a seattle super bowl future what'd you get uh plus 2500 coaching matters i mean i just feel like i feel like the hawks are like you said coaching matters pete carroll just he, I, I think Pete Carroll can certainly be a clown. He can do a lot of really dumb stuff. He's a bit too much of a cheerleader for me with his running up and down the sidelines, clapping, yelling, all that sort of stuff. Like, leave that in the college ranks. Whatever. He still he gets these defenses that he has. You know, yeah, he had the Legion of Boom, and they were really, really awesome. They were supremely talented. But now I have no idea who these guys are in defense. You know, I, I just I mean, they have Bobby Wagner, but Bobby Wagner's a little bit up there, you know, in, in age. He's been around for a bit. He's the only one left from that Legion of Boom defense. And they're all playing really well. I mean, he's got this Barcavio Mingo who couldn't even make the special teams team in New England. And now he's like just looks like this awesome, you know, all down linebacker out in Seattle. Whatever Pete Carroll's doing, it's working. And then on offense, I mean, they just Russell Wilson is he's not amazing. But he's very good, and and he's he's smart, and he's not that stupid. I mean, you saw some stupid stuff yesterday. Obviously, that that throw that he made when they're at the end of the half. I mean, that was the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Um, but he plays really well. He's a mobile quarterback and can move. He's going to make really good decisions. You know, he's got smart players around him, and then their their running game is really good. Which I mean, I know that you can't really win running the ball, but for whatever reason, they can win running the ball. And we always thought that this this Hawks offensive line was their their weak point you know these past couple of years but they seem to be very much improved and as we talked about earlier with minnesota um if you have a really good offensive line you can get a lot of things done with inferior talent just because you're able to you know keep your quarterback upright make holes for your running back give your wide receivers time to get open all that sort of stuff you bring up the legion of boom and i'll, I'll say it every time if you look at those players only a few of them really had pedigree entering the league 
we're looking at a lot of third and fifth rounders that we're playing in the Legion of Boom. And last night, Trey Flowers, fifth rounder this year, Oklahoma State, playing safety, trying to replace what Cam Chancellor was doing back there and Earl Thomas was doing back there for the last half decade. And Trey Flowers looked amazing, this fifth rounder that Pete Carroll is just coaching up and, and turning into a really good player. So he is just absolutely the defensive back whisper. And another thing that I've, I've probably said a million times is the Seattle defense, it's not complicated. They run cover three. That's their jive. They cut the field in the thirds. They put three guys back, and then they rally to the ball and make tackles. And a lot of what you saw last night was they were running cover three, and then underneath they were just running main coverage on Diggs and Thielen. So essentially they were double teaming both those guys, and they said, all right, something Treadwell beat us. Something Rudolph beat us, and they they couldn't, and they generated a pass rush, and it was just an absolute masterclass in team defense. This Seattle team is scary. It's funny how I I I want to think that this this uh, Seattle team is very much like this current Cowboys team, um, but the like in terms of like wanting to pick them going forward. I think Cowboys have a good defense; they've been certainly playing well. Um, Cowboys have a lesser quarterback, but they do have a better running back. Obviously, Zeke is really really good. Um, but I just, every time I think I look at him, you know, where I'm like last week, I'm like, you know what, this is a good time to grab this Hawks team. They're rolling now. They look like they're getting things right. I feel like the NFC is kind of coming back to to the norm, at least in terms of the Saints and Rams up top. They look like they can be beaten in certain spots. Uh, so I bought in on that Seattle team. Whereas in a similar spot, this Cowboys team, you could make a lot of cases that you should also buy them. But I look at this Dallas team and I say, Jason Garrett has no shot. Yeah. He just doesn't, he has no, he has no shot to make this team work. Like none whatsoever. I was just about to say you could probably throw the Texans in that mix as well as much as you you hate them. They've been on fire as well. But are you going to trust Bill O'Brien when it matters? Well, you know the other team that I bought uh, when I bought the Seahawks is I bought the Colts. I would much prefer to trust Frank Reich when it matters than Bill O'Brien. Frank Reich, that defense is playing well over there. Andrew Luck and that offense looks like they can score with anyone. So if if they gotta if they gotta win a game and and also like a big thing to me is in the AFC is like it, teams that I think can go into New England if it ever comes to that, you know, because just because that's where teams notably just just completely destroy themselves, right? And I just feel like I feel like this Colts team could do that with the way that they're playing. And Frank Reich, knowing that he went up against Bill Belichick last year and he put up, whatever, 45 on them in the Super Bowl and gave him a big FU and just went up and down the field, I think he could do that very much same thing against a Pats defense if it ever comes to that, um, a Pats defense that isn't that good this year. I'm in real belief that the AFC is going to be decided this Thursday, which is stupid. I hate you, NFL. But I truly believe that the winner of this game on Thursday, and it's a Thursday game, which is so dumb, so, so dumb, is going to win the AFC. How I don't know how the tiebreakers work out though. That's that's what's interesting. But basically, whoever gets home field between the Chiefs and the Chargers, I think is going to win the AFC. That's just how it's going to shake out to me. Although I do, this is funny. I, honestly, I don't even, I don't even think that the Chargers really need home field. That's like I, that's exactly I, the point I was going to make. Is that the Chargers travel, and they have traveled this season way better than the Chiefs. I've been super impressed by the Chargers. You think about those mid two thousands Chargers teams that would kick ass, and then they would go on the road to New England or Indianapolis in the playoffs, and then just get blasted. But this year, they've just taken care of business on the road. 
They destroyed the Browns when the Browns were on their ascent. They came back against the Steelers in prime time with terrible towels waving in their face. It, it just doesn't it just narrativeville just feel like the year for the Chargers. It, it does. Um, I also have a Super Bowl future on them as well. Um, those are my three Super Bowl future teams. But the only the, 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 with the Chargers, I just I'm worried about their coach. Right. I mean, again. Coaching matters. I think coaching is a huge, huge thing. And I'm just not sure about Anthony Lynn. You know, I, I feel like he's he's doing well. Has he done anything uh, wrong? We, we've done. That, that's, that's what I mean. He, he's not doing great, but yeah. he's not really doing anything well. Whereas like last year, I was like, he's doing a lot of really dumb stuff. Maybe maybe it was just variance. Maybe some things that he tried didn't work out. Or maybe he's learned. I was going to say. Whatever maybe it is, he, he's just not, he's not doing as many dumb things this year. There is a world where he assessed what he did last year and realized it was the wrong thing. He's a young coach, right? He's one of the few coaches in the NFL that's not turned 50 yet. I mean, obviously, McVay's on the, the way other side of the spectrum. He's a child actor <laughs> coaching an NFL team. But Anthony Lynn's a young guy. Um, I would hope he would listen to the counsel of others. And maybe he went back and saw some of his mistakes in terms of crunch time management, time management, field goals, short fourth downs, and... Maybe he corrected some of that because this season, I can't think of one situation where I think the Chargers made the wrong choice or punted when they could have gone for it. You know, it just doesn't stick out to me. So I think we almost have to shelve or at least pause that narrative just for a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think that they've done really well all year. Um, one of the best things I really like about uh, this Chargers team is that although I think that their offense has peaked and it's pretty much at its ceiling, um, just given where they're at. I mean, I know they're going to get Melvin Gordon back, but I'm thinking back, I'm thinking like in terms of when they have Melvin Gordon in the fold, I feel like they're at their ceiling and we've seen what their ceiling is on offense and it's really good, but their defense just continues to get better as Joey Bosa gets back in the mix more and more and more. Like they're only going to get better on defense and yeah, we can say defense doesn't matter, but when you already have a really good offense that can score with anyone, it's, probably going to be the defensive side of things that that ends up winning it you saw it again super bowl last year the eagles were the ones that got the stop they ended up winning because nobody was stopping anyone in that game and then the eagles ended up getting a stop they won similar thing when you saw that that game that you went to the game of all games the 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 chiefs and the rams i mean eventually there was some defensive plays that were made in that high scoring game and you know that's what that's what ended up in the victory Fun one on Thursday for sure. Really wish it was a Sunday night marquee. Give these guys the rest that they deserve. Won't you guys give us a follow on Twitter at GridIronGamble. That's where you can send your picks for the raffle. Thank you for doing so. You can also retweet the podcast and get an additional raffle ticket without having to pick a winner. Follow DP on Twitter at Donnie underscore Peters and I'm at Rich T. Ryan. If you are listening to us on a browser and not already subscribed, please do so. Subscribe, rate, and review. It helps us tremendously, and you can do so directly with Gridiron Gamble, or if you look up the Sharp Side podcast, we are among a few that play every week. Hope you guys did well in the first round of the fantasy playoffs or had a nice relaxing bye. Enjoy the rest of the week. We'll be back on Friday. Until then, peace. Peace.